Hello, hello. Welcome to Conversations with the Chiefs. Uh, today, we have a very exciting guest with us today, uh, Dr. Hugo Uoma. Uh, he is the Chief Executive Officer at Resolute Care. Um, Hugo, very excited to have you. Uh, thank you, Steve. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's a pleasure. And, uh, and thank you again, Hugo. It's great to have you on as well. Thank you. And could you uh, start off by just telling us just a little bit about yourself, just so everyone gets familiarized? Uh, yeah, no, thank you, Steve. I'm, first, I'll say I'm um, a um, internal medicine physician who uh, happened to have had a, a complicated, blessed journey from um, parts of West Africa, Nigeria, all the way through the United Kingdom to the United States, and uh, now blessed with uh, um, a lovely wife and uh, three amazing kids and uh, have been uh, opportune to learn a lot of things along the way in how to make difference in people's lives and in teams that I work with. Um, so I, I'm excited about the opportunity to share a little bit more about that. Great. And what, uh, what inspired you to be a physician? Is there a specific event or influence that really led you to this direction? Well, thanks for that. That's a, a good question. Yes. And I uh, does those memories bring uh, some reaction? Uh, so for for all your audience, those that know have lived in sub-Saharan Africa, probably understand what the illness malaria is. So malaria is uh, an acute fever type illness that comes because um, of a parasite that's transmitted by uh, mosquitoes. And as a young kid, I did have malaria a lot. And part of the treatment then was uh, intramuscular chloropine, which I still remember the medication. So you would well, you would go to this doctor's offices, uh, you would, you know, sick, and you would get intramuscular injection, which was very, very painful as a kid. But it struck me being in that environment, the waiting room, and just the amazing difference that a physician made to lots of people. I mean, we're talking about packed waiting rooms. Waiting rooms will be a um, will be a generous description of the of the environment. But just being able to get some form of diagnosis, get some form of treatment, and really recover it it had a, a tremendous impact on me. And I I knew that I wanted to. Who was that person? What what was that? And how did I get better? And and how was that person able to bring hope? to these large groups of people, that's really something that I wanted to to be or to think about when I grew up. And um, so I think that was where it started for me. Did you have somebody in at that point in your life that really inspired you? I mean, clearly helping other people is really important through that experience, but was there anybody actually inspired you to kind of pursue medicine and then ultimately you know, migrate to the United States after you know getting completed your education? Uh, yes, it's a couple of things. Obviously, my parents, you know, both parents were teachers, and my dad ended up at, at the later part of his life uh, becoming a, um, I think here you would describe it as an Episcopal priest, and they were keen on getting, you know, uh, their kids to be well-educated, given the limited uh, limited opportunities there were. So I was I was a beneficiary of a lot of scholarships growing up and, and um, getting good education that way. 
Um, I think when I went to uh, what would be high school, as I was finishing high school and was thinking about what I wanted to do for a career, I did have the opportunity just to now start talking to some uh, for people who had gone into medicine and they did really provide the encouragement and mentorship for me to explore that. Uh, definitely getting onto the medical school exams and getting onto medical school was very competitive. But once I was in medical school, um, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do. I mean, it, it's uh, I went to medical school very young. I, I, I got into medical school at the time. Um, and my I believe I was just about to be 15 in the first semester of medical school uh, at the time. But it was an experience that I enjoyed. And the, the, the lectures, the, the team there was, was very great. So I, I landed in the right spot. And then in medical school, I got a lot of mentors that, that then guided my development subsequently in developing what type of specialty, how do you get the best training and how, what's the journey going forward. And with those mentors, whether it be professional or personal, um, are there any core values that really guide your decision-making in both your personal and professional life today um, that's really helped you uh, become successful? Yeah, Steve, you know, as I reflect back, I um, those experiences and what was an upbringing um, have given me a core set of values. And I would say some of those I would first is humility. I think understanding that um, you are able to be the best version of yourself to the world when you're open to learning and open to having people interact with you. So humility is one. The, the second is really a tenacity to be understanding of challenges. There is challenges in every endeavor, but really being able to work through challenges is something that we as humans have been built to be able to do. Um, and the third is really the, the power of people. I mean, the, in the end, people make a difference. Um, regardless of the environment that we are, people do the, the, the things that move organizations are done by people. Um, now, having said that, I know AI is on the horizon, but um, that's, that's been my firm belief. So I would say, you know, thinking about humility, thinking about people and really thinking about the opportunity to learn the most from challenges and keep moving ahead. I mean, startup and uh, opportunities are very intense sometimes, you know, lots of adaptability. Um, I'm sure a lot of challenges develop, right? And it's probably nonstop. So as a new CEO, I mean, how do you balance family and business life that kind of hit the goals you want to hit? Because it's, it's certainly very difficult. It is very difficult, and I'm still I'm still trying to um, learn that as I go. I'm being open to to understanding and reflecting on the path. Uh, but I would say that the the first place is really being anchored on uh, who you are, your purpose in the world, and and the people that you have that are close to you, and have meaningful relationships. Uh, before I made this change to this path, I did have really a clear conversation with the people that, you know, that mean the most to me, my wife and the kids and to say, here's, here's what this would mean. And here's how um, my availability might be impacted, but this is how we can make the most of the time that I, I have uh, to ensure that we're really, I'm really connected to the family. So I think that was helpful. I, I think bringing people into conversations in terms of challenges, I bring, you know, Yes, there's home and there's family and work, but I bring challenges. I say, look, you know, here's what we're thinking. You know, like the naming of the company, for example, we had a bunch of names, and uh, you know, 
put it on the table and had the kids, you know, and the family provide a perspective. So it's a degree that they can feel part of the journey uh, that has been helpful to me. And to the degree that then um, I have the time and when I have the time, I try to really zero in on being completely available for that. Um, and then being being transparent in terms of the ups and downs, conversation up, conversation down, you know, new. Uh, we have to, you know, that is going to be traveling. I have a conference and the kids say, oh, where are you going? You know, I have to be here for this meeting. Um, so I, it comes back to what's most important and impact mm -hmm. uh, in the world and family is most important to me. So obviously the resolute care and the success of resolute care and the impact we're able to create is something that's important. At the same time, um, my uh, family and the, the responsibility that I have with, with my family is important. And I, there is a, there is a way that the two can work together and mm -hmm. uh, it's just reflection conversations and uh, being able to uh, bring both parties in to the degree that you care. When you were um, naming resolute care. Yes. Why resolute care? I mean, obviously that was a good question I wanted to ask. So tell me about resolute care as a business. Why, why you went in that direction? I know when we first met, we were talking about how to advance workflow in the ER and how to really impact patients because there's, um, there's issues there in terms of you know efficiency and workflow. And I'd love to hear kind of how you got to where you are as far as the name Resolute Care. Um, I would, um, yes, let's start from Resolute Care is a, from the root of the word Resolute, which uh, sends a signal that the journey that we're about to embark on, we all have to be all in. There's, it's a challenging environment but we think that if we stay true and have intent and purpose of execution, that we'll be able to make a difference. So that's that's the message of Resolute. To, to what then is Resolute Care? What do we do? So Resolute Care is uh, a combination of uh, people and technology that's enabling transitions from the emergency room, uh, emergency departments into the home in a way that's swift, um, that's seamless, that's scalable and safe. Uh, so that we can improve operational eff operational efficiency for hospitals and emergency rooms, but also reduce total cost of care for all involved, including you know patients, but also our uh, risk taking providers, and and overall for society as a whole. So that's that's the premise of Resolute Care, and we do that uh, through a couple of um, special capabilities that we have around discharge support, uh, putting together a a high value network and doing uh, care coordination uh, from the ED all the way to the home and back to the primary care physician. Pretty exciting. Yes, yes. And as you as you are operating, what are some of the um, biggest challenges that you've observed in care delivery? Uh, so for us, part of the challenges, uh, it's, it's similar to what challenges that we're seeing overall in healthcare. I think part of the challenges, one is alignment of stakeholders. So uh, healthcare, there is multiple stakeholders, but really being able to align everybody to what's in the best interest of the patient and then how to align the incentives and the infrastructure to be able to do that. So I think that's that's uh, that's obviously one challenge. The second challenge is um, at this point, there is a lot of um, opportunities, I, I will reframe it, that's happening around healthcare. We have staffing challenges. Uh, both in the emergency room, you know, there's really burnout amongst physicians, uh, staffing of nurses and other 
teams within the hospital system and healthcare as a whole is challenged. That's put enormous pressure on the system. And there's also financial pressures in terms of uh, both uh, on the hospital side, but also on the on the risk barrier side uh, from what how budgets, how the budgets are shrinking and get um, and get um, challenged. What that does for us is really create an opportunity for us to pre present a value proposition that's going to help multiple parties align around improving efficiency, improving and uh, engagement of teams, reducing the burden on the staff, and figuring out a way to have the right patient in the right setting to receive the right care. Uh, and we we strongly believe that the transitions to these alternative sites of care would really benefit everyone in the ecosystem. Um, and we're in a unique position to be one of the catalysts of that movement. And I know you have a lot of experience, uh, both as a consultant to CMS, so you have really kind of contemporary knowledge of value-based care models. When you're thinking about what you just said, um, what do you define as the most complicated challenge? Um, is it strictly partner adoption, stakeholder adoption, or is it uh, other factors? Like we talked about the shortage of staffing and kind of the complexity of the next several years, given that to deliver better care. I mean, where do you see the biggest pain points? I think the biggest pain point is really alignment of stakeholders and payment incentives. At this point, we're increasingly rolling upstream from what I would say is a fee-for-service infrastructure uh, in the U.S. health system. And the fee-for-service infrastructure and escalating costs. I think uh, the latest report in the last two weeks was we're going to be at $7 trillion, uh, of healthcare spending in by 2030. And a significant amount of that happens in a fee-for-service chassis, but also in facility-based expenditure. So to the degree that we can begin to align incentives to move care that's appropriate out of expensive facilities into home-based environments, and we've learned a lot how to do this well, uh, unfortunately through the pandemic, but we've, we've learned a lot of things there to be able to do that, to help improve experience, uh, but also reduce cost. And then we have to slowly re-engineer the way we've done payments and the infrastructure, which CMS has started doing, the ACO rich program, some of the changes in re uh, some of the changes in terms of health equity and bringing together some uh, increasingly value-paced um, outcomes into fee-for-service arrangements is helpful. The increasing transition uh, into Medicare Advantage is something that's going to be health move us in that direction. So I think that we're rolling in, the same, in, in that direction. However, I think that overall, we will benefit from a quicker pace to be able to get us there, given the, the escalating spending that we're seeing. So as the value-based care uh, landscape evolves, um, are there additional future trends or potent, uh, potential areas of growth or innovation within the field that you're seeing? Yes, I, I would say that uh, I've already talked about uh, payment innovation, uh, alignment of incentives. The other piece is around uh, data, and and I'll mention around data and and staff. So from a data perspective, uh, we have a lot of data about outcomes, about costs, and to the degree that we can one increase the transparency and ability to understand from the data which outcomes or which paths make the most sense. Um, that's something that's going to be value added. So right now, there's a lot of 
now into healthcare, a lot of understanding around what machine learning can bring, AI can bring, uh, sophisticated data modeling and neural networks can bring. That's something that's going to be helpful in driving some uh, automation, some uh, other things that right now we require humans to do or staff to do that we're going to become um, more in-depth in letting technology help us. I think tech enablement is also going to help us uh, complement the skill set that we have from a staffing perspective to the degree that it might help alleviate some of our staffing concerns. But we still need, um, especially on the provider side, um, some incentives to help us get the number of you know um, doctors we need, nurses we need. Uh, but I think data, data piece and technology enablement that helps alleviate burden on staff is where I see some of the future trends. And already we've seen a lot of activity in that space. I mean, do you see patients now that are now participating in remote monitoring? Um, do you see them being more engaged, more interested in being engaged because of the use of technology? And, and the fact is it gives them opportunities to live in a remote setting, right? Instead of, you know, in a facility. So how do you think that, uh, do you find it being very attractive to patients you've encountered so far? Uh, the answer is yes. And um, I would say this is one place that um, I've been surprised in a positive way. Um, I remember where I was during the, you know, during the pandemic and there was a sense of the disparities in the impact of pandemic on, in, on people of color and uh, challenges in adoption of technology and, and uh, virtual care. Um, we've continued to learn a lot about those types of outcomes to the degree that virtual care and technology, certain technology tools can become a tool for really leveling the playing field. Because if you think about the, the challenges it will take from a transportation perspective, who is gonna, you know, how do I get to the doctor's office? Who's gonna help me get there? Who's probably gonna take care of my child if I have to do that? Um, the ability for technology to mitigate some of those challenges uh, helps adoption from a patient perspective. So I think that's been one thing. In terms of remote monitoring, um, what I've seen now, and I've we've experienced that even as a family, is to the degree that you give people control over their own health, mm-hmm. every person, that's every that's part of being a, a human species, wants to have control and understanding to the degree that we make it easy to understand. So whether it's ambulatory blood pressure monitoring, somebody using a smartphone to, to see what, I mean, uh, I'll tell you a story. Even my, my dad in his, what, 92nd year, uh, a guy that lives in the remote, one of the remotest parts of the world, he's very, he's very interested in, oh, my watch says this. And he would text me and say, my watch said, you know. Uh, so there, are, there is um, patient engagement that we can get from having people engage in their own care and allow us to provide care in a way that's more responsive and meets their needs. Uh, and in the end, it becomes more effective for all of us. So yes, I think that's that's something that we're seeing. And we just have to learn a better way to make it easier and more impactful um, so that people can get the bo- most out of that engagement. It's pretty exciting. It yeah, really is. It is. It is. I mean, I'm seeing... Um co-development projects with uh, a lot of pharmaceuticals. So they're really interested in digital therapeutics and other tools, especially for remote applications. 
so I see, you know, further investment there. It just takes time to kind of roll out. Um, do you see any inhibitors to getting more technology rolled out that's very patient focused, like like you described? Um, yes, um, I think it's it's um, ch challenges that we have to get through. Of course, when you talk about healthcare, you always um, think about um, regulatory hurdles first uh, in terms of protecting of uh, information and people's privacy. But you also think about safety. You you want to be sure that you have we have a good understanding of the uh, any adverse events or any potential to either delay care or have the wrong care be delivered. So safety is and understanding the parameters around safety is a, it's a pretty good one. But it's not something that's insurmountable uh, to the degree that we are we have data and we have monitoring. Um, that's something that's um, that's that's something that's um, we can overcome. So I would say those two things, regulatory hurdles, um, things around safety, uh, probably the biggest. I think the the challenge around payment and financial models, I think that would take care of itself as mm -hmm. the people get engaged more and the value is delivered from an outcomes perspective, the payment system would the payment system would align itself to that quickly. One thing I'm pretty excited about is the fact that you you talked about health equity right? Because there's such a massive disparity. I mean, access is restricted to about 50 million people right now, just because of the locations and financial ability. So I find that to be a really important thing that you talked about. I think um, I think that's going to change. Um, do you see any indicators that, um, that this is really going to impact health equity access? Um, I'm an internal optimist. So my, my first <laughs> answer is yes. Um, because we have increasing transparency of the data in terms of uh, the disparities. Uh, we also now have increasing responsibility of um, accountability that, that has dollars attached to it, whether it's on the commercial side, on the hospital side, on the physician side. So really, CMS increasingly doing a good job around having the health equity piece be included in all payment modalities and increasing arrangements going forward. I think the 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 question is is that enough to change behavior and is that enough that people pay attention is the is the risk of um is the is the is the investment I have to make to address those challenges worth the return on my investment? Um, mm -hmm. I think everybody understands from a philosophical perspective. I don't think you meet anyone that will say, yeah, we should do. That's not something that should exist. But the truth about it is, is is existed for with us for many, many uh, decades. And the data, unfortunately, don't seem to show that this is changing. If you look at the big picture data in terms of healthcare outcomes, if you, I mean, there's just a, a recent report around maternal mortality rates and the disparities that still exist there. Um, so on, I think it's a mixed, it's a mixed uh, picture, but I, I take the optimistic view that the effort made from a policy level, from a payment level, and really outlining some strategic goals for many organizations that that's going to move the needle. Um, in the end, the outcomes and the data will be, will be the, uh, will be the, um, will be the judge of how well we've done as a society. 
And in order to deliver that value to those individuals, there has to be a strong team, strong leadership. Uh, when you think about the gaining popularity of uh, that term servant leadership, how have you incorporated servant leadership uh, principles into your leadership style? And could you provide us some examples of how this approach has really positive, uh, positively impacted your teams, uh, whether it be currently or in the past? Uh, definitely love to get your insights. Uh, thank you, Steve. Um, servant leadership for me um, has a connotation. As I told you, my, um, my dad is an Episcopal priest. So having, uh, I guess we say, uh, uh, there's a, a thing that's called a preacher's son. So um, yeah, uh, I uh, I am one that's uh, of that uh, of faith. So really, serving has a has a faith connotation to me, and serving uh, starts from making an impact. So the organization exists to create an impact, and that impact in the end is to help people or move people from uh, a need want and make it easier and live uh, live really something that's better from where you found it. So I think that's for me the first place. The organization is set up for a purpose to, to serve and to create impact. Uh, the second piece of that is then among the team, the I as a leader look at it as uh, serving the team, but serving the team in a way of enabling everyone to be the best version of themselves. And that's anchored uh, for me on the concept of psychological safety. So I like to immediately create an environment within the team where everyone feels comfortable enough to bring the best version of themselves each day because we're trying to solve complex challenges and everyone in the team has uh, a smart way of being and they see the world from a different lens so that um, to get the best ideas, we need to be, be able to bring everyone. And I would say, uh, that's one part of it. The second part of it being a servant is I owe it to the team to be able to then ensure that we create the best version of what the company can do. And that comes also with what I call accountability. So we we need to be able to work together, but also meet uh, from a way of execution what we need to do to create that impact, um, to be of service to the greater good. So that's that for me is uh, another important concept. In terms of how, how I've seen this uh, work with the teams, I'll tell you a lot of the ideas, a lot of the things um, in my previous lives, uh, really as a leader within physician groups and managing docs is when, when I do rounds or when I go really to meet people face-to-face -face as, 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 um, as, they deliver care on the spaces where things are happening, which is where you get the most value from a time perspective. And a lot of the things that end up working and comes out of conversations of, hey, how come we've never thought of X? You know, mm -hmm. well, it would be a good idea to do B in just that two minutes of conversation. As the leader, yes, that frontline person doesn't have the time to bake that into something that's functional, but really being able to take, hey, this person had an idea, let's work on it. And uh, not only do you get more mileage in terms of implementation, but also engagement, because then you're really engaging the team uh, 
and the front line who see the problem at the sharp end of the stick, uh, the stick to be able to impact effectively what your organization is doing. So that a lot of the, um, I would say a lot of the strategies that we've used, a lot of the, a lot of the programs that we've built have come out of rounding practices and taking the in, uh, input of frontline teams and being able to play it back and then taking it back for the leadership team to turn into meaningful actions and programs. That has been, uh, I would say, very rewarding for me uh, as a leader to be able to do that. When you think of being in the startup situation you're in now, um, change is pretty dynamic. Um, there's always a lot of moving parts to startups. Um, when thinking about that, how do you foster a culture of innovation? I mean, have you seen obstacles in the past in your previous leadership roles where you've found a formula for success to manage change? Um, that's a that's a loaded question. First, formula <laughs> for success to manage change is negative. Nobody has uh, so far. Uh, I think we're still bat batting less than fifty percent success rate from from a change perspective. However, there are some things that, again, as humans, we know in terms of management, managing change, and that really doesn't change the, it doesn't change whether you're in a startup or outside a startup, but the pace of it might be different. So we, you know, it always starts really from understanding in a granular level, the individual, the pain points and what what is it that's the how they're trying to overcome that challenge and that takes a detailed understanding of the person their outlook on life or what the society what the organizational goals are you have to embed yourself in learning so much about that uh, because from then from that awareness you can build uh, a desire or perspective of Here's the, here's where we need there's here's where we need to change towards a vision. Here's the urgency of where we need to change. And typically, um, a loss aversion is a more urgent um, message in terms of moving people along. And then here's how we can change in incremental steps, and we can keep communicating and learning from the incremental steps. And here's how successful we have been, and we can reinforce back what those changes uh, what those changes were brought forward is and then allow really the teams to be able to have an ownership perspective going forward and then keep doing the cycle back and forth uh, mm -hmm. over and over again and understand that some things you would have to learn the hard way and some things you you wouldn't but the cycle keeps repeating itself the only thing is that in the startup uh, the, the efficiency and the speed or cadence of this process it's much quicker in terms of you have to be very in tune with understanding the customer, their pain points, how quickly you can think about solutions to that and engage your teams in being able to solve that and come back to understand how effective that is. And if it's not, quickly again, uh, coming back to how you can iterate to be able to solve that challenge for, for the customer. And when you uh when you look forward into the future, those teams that you're referencing, um, what do you believe to be the most significant challenges and opportunities for those leaders? Um, and really, how should they prepare themselves to really navigate and thrive in this evolving landscape? 
good question. I would I would uh, go back to there's a there's a saying to from one of my mentors or not, one of the folks that I I hold in great esteem. I've tried to re, uh, learn a lot from, uh, which is uh, General Colin Powell, mm-hmm. and one of his saying is. Um, Never let uh, never let your ego be so close to your point of view, so that if if the point of view is shut down, your ego kind of stands in the way. Um, and I think that's going back to the, where we started from when you asked around one of the core values that I hold, which is humility. I think in an uncertain environment, in a in a, in a places where change is um, fast paced and unknown, really having the humility to be able to learn and not make very uh, strong assumptions. That's really key from a leadership perspective because most times leaders get promoted or you get to leadership roles because you have achieved something in the past or somebody thought you were very smart or, you know, X, Y, Z. And that sometimes can be the danger, especially as you go forward in the environment where there's more uncertainty and there's more unknown. So what worked yesterday, what got, gave you the accolade that got you here is not really what might work going forward. So really being able to uh, humble yourself to always take fresh perspectives and take feedback and bring the team along uh, is really the, that's the, that's what leadership requires in this environment that we are. And the more that leaders can do that and lead from that position, the more the teams can achieve and the more the teams achieve, that really is the, the beauty of leadership. Thinking about your peer groups, especially founders or first-time CEOs, I mean, what advice would you give them, you know, launching a new company, what you've learned based on what you learned so far? I mean, what would be some of the advice you might provide? Um, I don't know that I can give for advice uh, because being, <laughs> being in the throes of it. Uh, first, I would say good luck. Uh, the... I think the best advice someone gave me, and um, I happen to be, um, I would say blessed to be in an environment within Redesign Health um, and then have um, sometimes, I have a support network there that's been very helpful. Um, one of the, one of the best descriptions is really that this journey is almost like being, it's like being on a roller coaster if you've ever been on a roller coaster with you know the kids or you've gone to any of this, there's a a quick ramp up and you you kind of your hand you're holding your your heart is racing and you get to this peak and then immediately after is this steep decline and then you're preparing for the next and those things can happen within day a day or they can happen within the weeks you know so mm-hmm. you you have to have the strength of character. And understand that really this is a marathon that has those uh, uh, ups and downs and be able to manage yourself and your teams through those ups and downs. I think that's, that's for me, that's probably the, I would say the biggest uh, lessons. Um, there's a lot that you can learn from others, which continues to be the same, but part of the, the biggest difference for me from previous spaces to this space is just that that roller coaster ride is very pronounced, and you have to be able to manage that and manage the team with it, that to keep moving along and achieving things. And are there things that you would have changed um, as you're talking about the sharp declines? 
looking back at it today, are there things that you would have changed um, back then? Um, I don't know that it is you would have changed. I, I think the, as I alluded, one of the key things that I've, I'm grateful for being within um, a, a innovative platform such as Redesign Health is really to learn from the mistakes of others that yes, you're going to make unique mistakes that are yours, but to the degree that you're not repeating the mistakes that were obvious to others. So there will always be things that you are learning as long as you're learning new and different things, uh, that that's okay. Uh, but really try not to learn the things that already people already know and are pretty evident that you should you should not you should not be there. Great, and I think this rack, uh, wraps up our segment uh, here today. Uh, Hugo, we definitely did want to thank you again for your time, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Uh, Steve and Michael, it's been a, an honor and a pleasure to chat with you. Um, look forward to talking with you uh, again uh, in the future. Thanks for your yeah, opportunity. Yeah, thank you so much, Hugo, and really excited to see what happens with uh, your new company, Resolute Care. Yes, excited. Yes, we are. We are going to be creating an impact, and uh, hopefully, uh, we'll come back again just to share uh, where we are with the company and uh, some of the impact we've been able to create in the world. Yeah, we would love to see that. And we definitely enjoy the next time as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.